What's up, everybody? We are here for another Book Circle Online interview. I have a special guest, Dr. Javon Johnson, and we're going to be talking about his book, The End of Chirac. Here it goes. Stay tuned. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Say the wrong words, you be hangman. I love the transition. Savannah Sarah. Mr. What kind of car you in? In the city, love my name, nigga. Yo, see, we need some lights, man. Can we get some lights, books, or all that? Yeah! Yes! Is this like the crunkest? Is this the littest? Pretty much. I'm thinking ever Book Circle Online interview. The most hype Book Circle Online interview. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what it is. Your boy Lim Gonzalez here. As always, we are here for a special Book Circle Online interview. I have my good friend. He's in the building. Two books out. You know how he does. Mr. Javon Johnson, what's up, man? I'm good, man. What's up with you? Um, you know, might have to change my name to Two Books. I could get literary two chains. <laughs> right. So, I mean, with the music, you know, it yeah. just goes with it. Yeah. Two books. Two books. Two books. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So, we're going to be talking with uh, Javon about um, his latest book, The End of Chirac, a literary mm-hmm. mixtape. We're also going to touch on his previous book, which I enjoyed immensely when I read it, Killing Poetry. Um, talking all things blackness. I love it. I love it. I love it. So starting off, um, first of all, just giving a slight, you know, introduction. Uh, Javon is a college professor, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. spoken word artist. Um, He's also the world's greatest uncle. And uh, of course, he's here because he's an author. Yep, yep, yep. Yes, yep. two books. And so the one we're going to talk about the most is The End of Chirac. This is it right here. Um, and I'm going to play a clip. Um, Stephen, if you can put that on. And uh, we're going to get right into it. Outside of Chicago, there's a sense of like that it's just happening. There's no reason that it's happening. That it's like it's sort of put on these people are just sort of. They're just sort of violent. Right. So one of the things I try to talk to people about is the historical reasons as to how some of these things have come to be, right? And certainly um, poverty is one of those. And and poverty isn't a happenstance kind of thing. There's a history of denying wealth to certain people, uh, denying the ability to buy homes and have economic power. If the ability to take care of your family is one of those things that marks manhood in a capitalist society, and I am not given fair access to the labor market, then sometimes violence becomes a means. But a lot of this, from what I understand, people think is back to how black men in the city feel like they have to express their masculinity. And a lot of our media and a lot of our role models, it's all about be a man. We have to allow for multiple types of masculinities to exist, particularly if we're speaking about black folks, black masculinities, right? That that there is no stereotypical or one monolithic way of, of, of being a black man. Right. You can be as black as Steve Urkel, and you can be as black as DMX. <laughs> like, wow, those, those are the two poses. I love it. I love it. I love it. So that is a clip from uh, a show called United Shades of America, yep, yep. hosted by W. Kamau Bell, uh, that you had a guest spot on. Uh, I think this was season two, episode two, mm-hmm. dealing with Chicago. And so I wanted to touch on that because that ties into the book. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so first off, what uh, what caused you to write a book of this magnitude? Well, let me let me start by saying I'm not entirely sure what happened to the bass in my voice in that <laughs> clip. 
I, I just want to get that out. It was. I think um, it was the way it was done because it was wasn't like from the network. So yeah. I did notice that when I was kind of like, out but the I, click. I I also have a professor voice that goes higher. <laughs> I do know that. But, you do. But that was also uh, oddly higher. I, I don't watch myself a lot. And yes. So I haven't even watched that clip. In fact, I watched the episode and skipped over myself. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. I don't really like listening to myself. I'm I weird that it. way, I guess. Um, or seeing myself on TV. I'm just, I'm, I'm good. I did it. Yeah. We're gone. So what made me write a book like this is yes. the question, right? Um, I uh, went to Northwestern um, as a grad student, right, which is in Evanston, just north of Chicago, right? Um, And I spent time on the South Side in various sort of spaces, working with some youth um, uh, while while there, right? Uh, And uh, just really spent a lot of time with folks in Chicago, talking to folks in Chicago about their daily sort of lives. Um, And one of the things uh, that sort of struck me was... Uh, the ways in which we talk about how overly violent black parts of Chicago um, is, was, and, and in many ways, seemingly always will be, right? Um, even though I don't believe that to be true. Um, I'm a black kid from 1980 South Central, so I know too well about what it what it's like to have your city marked and marred in, in certain kinds of ways um, by people who don't exist there, by people who don't go there. Um, people are discussing things over you and making things happen over you um, while trying to maintain a certain level of, of, of power over you um, and, and keeping you incredibly disempowered and disenfranchised, if that makes any sense. So so I say all of that to say I, I relate it somewhat, um, though the circumstances are different. They have their uh, re- relationship as well. Um, and so uh, I was given the opportunity to write for this series. Uh, this is in a series under Northwestern University Press called Second to None, which is all about Chicago. Mm-hmm. And when when I was approached to, to, to sort of pitch something for the series, for the book series, um, um, I immediately thought the poetry community there and I immediately thought the youth and I immediately thought to reach out to Kevin Koval of YCA and said, you know, if I'm going to write about this and be uh, in a, uh, you know, in, uh, write about this, I needed to be in conversation with the community sure. and not writing just squarely about the community. Um, one of the things I say early on in this book, I'm not a Chicagoan. I want to make clear about that. Mm-hmm. And so some of the earliest moves we made was not to have me write the entire book, but rather to give uh, the youth a voice, right? Um, I write the preface. I I wrote the preface. I wrote the uh, introduction. But the spine of the book is really the youth that's carrying it uh, through. They're the ones who are talking about Chicago, Chirac, right. the city they live in, the city they want to live in, the city they're working toward, all of these beautiful, brilliant, and brave things they're writing about. They're the spine of it. And that's why it's called a literary mixtape. The idea right. is not entirely different than a mixtape. Um, we wanted to put these unheard voices on the mm. track. Um, the track being a major university press, just like right. a popular track, and the underground voices being the youth who are not often talked to about the cities in which they live. So it's almost like, if I can you know, characterize it in this uh, framework, it's almost like you were the producer, in essence, and you basically had these different voices and songs as you would like an album, mm. and you kind of 
Mike uh, f- made the ebbs and flow of how the book uh, went. Is mm-hmm. that is that safe to say? Yeah, essentially, I'm DJ Khaled. Okay. Uh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I got the keys right. to success. Right. No. Um. Yeah. I think in many ways that that's a good way of trying to sort of understand it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I am the editor of the book. Right. I'm a co-editor of the book myself. Um. And again, Kevin Koval, um, are co-editors of the book, and we made a series of stylistic choices, not entirely different than what a producer would do. Sure. To sort of create this sort of album. Right. Um. DJ Khaled would be a good one to come to mind, one who does not rap over his beats, right? Mm-hmm. Just one who produces beats and has an album and yells. full of artists right. yeah, and yells, right? <laughs> um, um, DJ Khaled. Right. I, I, he wants people to know his name. Exactly. Um, I, it would be like me just watermarking my name on every page. <laughs> right. Just, right. I want you to understand right. I'm right. here. Javon um, Johnson. Right. But, but it, would, it would be like that, right? Like I just, we made a series, a series of stylistic mm-hmm. choices about what we wanted this to look like, mm-hmm. right? And so you have these stylistic choices. You have people writing about Chicago. You have people writing about Chirac. You have people writing about where the two meet and where the two are different. You have people writing about what's being done in the city. We think these cities are spaces that are full of nihilism. And you have moments of utter, utter beautiful, heartbreaking hope and work that people are doing here. And then you have people writing about the future and what the future of the city will look like. And so you have all of this stuff at play under these sort of umbrellas that, that, that's sort of uh you know uh Kevin and and I sort of really shepherded right mm-hmm. yeah so taking that I and mean, you mentioned earlier and I was going to bring this up but you already mentioned it, about being from South Central mm-hmm. one raised um east side low bottoms there you go and so uh, why wouldn't you let's say for instance being that you're familiar and from South Central Los Angeles, why wouldn't you do a book in that fashion, much what you did with uh, the end of Chirac, as you did with Chicago? Because, like you say, you, you preface the book by saying you're not a Chicagoan, you know, put that force and format. But because of how you're, if I could use the term, you know, not to get too deep or spiritual, but the calling that you had to want to, like, you know, foster these voices in this book, why wouldn't you do something like that in Los Angeles? There's a series of reasons, right? One being um, young Chicago authors, an organization that's already there mm-hmm. that allows me to sort of talk to the folks who are running that organization to see if the youth wanted to participate in this book, right? Uh, there's not that same kind of organization that exists in South Central Los Angeles, right? There are youth poet organizations in LA, sure. right? Here, I think about Say Word LA, mm-hmm. ran by Cat McGill. I think about Get Lit as well as that, um, uh, as well. Um, but but not the same kind of overreaching sort of large-scale program like YCA1, and then two, certainly not one that's squarely located within South Central, right? That doesn't really uh. exist, even though um, those two organizations do good work on their own, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one. Two, um, the series is called Second to None. And it's called Second to None because it's a series based on Chicago and about Chicago, right? Chicago being named the second city, right? Um, and there's a few reasons as to why it's named the second city. Um, it is the second global city in the U.S., right? Um, the second to reach a million in its population, I believe, after New York, right? Um, and so it's it's they're saying right, we are the second city, but we're second to none, and that's the name of the series. So the series is and about Chicago, right? And so if I pitched to the city, uh, the series, it had to be somewhat about the city itself, right? Um, so those two reasons. Um, third, uh, Chirac in Chicago is, is a very hot topic right now in terms of what's happening as the bulk of the country is seeing some some sort of trends, not always, but some sort of trends. And this is a very unnuanced argument, but some sort of trends in um, uh, 
decreasing in, in violent crimes in certain spaces. And this isn't true of all of Chicago and not even all of South Side or West Side Chicago either. But in certain spaces, we're seeing an upward tick of that violence. Right. And some of that is certainly sort of glamorized by the media and sort of over glamorized. But, but we're seeing it. And so for all of those reasons, it, it, it was about Chicago. I do think there will come a day that I will write a book about Los Angeles. Um, and that might actually be my next sort of monograph. In that regard. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to get over to um, kind of the start and uh, of your professional career, um, you know, working in college. Uh, when What pushed you? Obviously, you are Dr. Javon Johnson. I don't mm-hmm. know how you, how you rest in that title. Um, I think that's dope because you earned that, you know, thank getting you, thank a doctorate. You. Um, but what pushed you to get your doctorate and become a professor? Because I feel like all of this is kind of tied together. Yeah, man. Um, First of all, what, what, what is your, um, what do you teach? So right now I'm a professor of and director of African-American and African diaspora studies at UNLV, uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Um, and in addition to that, I teach gender and sexuality um, studies. Uh, the bachelor's in, the, I'm, I'm a very sort of what we call an interdisciplinary scholar. So I'm a little bit all over the place at times, right? Uh, so uh, the bachelor's and the master's is in communication studies. I uh, used to teach in a communication studies department and I used to teach communication studies proper, right? Um and the uh, PhD is in what we call performance studies um, with cert- uh, with a certificate in gender studies and a cognate in African-American studies. Right. Um, and so I'm a little all over the place. I also taught in an American studies department at USC. OK. <laughs> um, essentially, we're in a place where disciplines are not as incredibly. This is a very weird thing for me to say. Mm-hmm. They're not as incredibly important and they're not incredibly clear as to what the differences are in a lot of disciplines anymore. Mm-hmm. Um um, and and uh, we could debate about that. Somebody could debate me on that, but I, I probably wouldn't care to have that debate. But whatever, right? Um, um, and so uh, I, I'm now I'm losing track of where the question was. So you said, just I mean, what what caused you to get your doctorate? Like, yeah, yeah, get yeah. to that level. So, oh, because you had asked me also what was the title. There it sure. is. Boom, 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 boom. So, um, what caused me to get a doctorate? Honestly, um. I didn't like the jobs that would lined up for me. Um, <laughs> so I, I was finishing my, my, my bachelor's, man. And I was like, I, I, my bachelor's was in PR. Okay. And I was like, I don't want to do PR. It was just the, the emphasis that everybody was doing when I was getting my BA. Gotcha. And I was like, oh, I'm a B sheet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to get it too. Um, and I was like, I don't want to do this. It's long hours. It's low pay. It's, it just doesn't seem like it's for me. I don't right. really like people yelling at me. I'm like, yeah, man, <laughs> right. you got to chill. Yeah. Just tell me. Um, and, and it was a lot of that gotcha. going on. And I was like, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to end up cursing somebody out because okay. I don't have an ability to hold my tongue always. Yeah. So boom. So I was like, why don't I apply for this master's thing at the same time? I applied to four places, got in and decided to stay at Cal State LA because I had some teachers there who were fantastic. Right. Um, particularly, uh, Brian Keith Alexander, and Judith Amara, right? Um, Brian Keith Alexander is now a dean at Loyola Marymount, and Judith Amara is now a professor at uh, Princeton University, right? Wow. So they were really wonderful professors, um, really good, um, and they really nurtured me. I decided to stick around and do the master's thing, and I was going to go and get the master's and then get a community college job, be a professor there, and make good money. You mm. can make good money doing that here. Um but I was like, I kind of like this grad school thing. I'm kind of, I'm kind of nice at it. At least I think. Mm-hmm. And my professors, the two that I just named, was like, yo, you should, you should consider. I mean, they didn't say it like that, but like, yo, you should consider uh, the PhD joint, right? right. Um, and I'm like, all right, word. So I applied to the schools that they went to, um, Southern Illinois University and Northwestern, respectively. Northwestern being my top. 
and I got in Northwestern, um, and um, they gave me all the money I needed to go. Uh, nice. So it was full, full, fully paid. Okay. Um, and I was like, all right, I'm out. I'm, I'm going to do it. And there I it kept doing it. Like, there was no plan. Like, people yeah. want to think I had a plan or something. Like, man, I didn't want to. I, I didn't even want a master's degree, <laughs> let alone a PhD. Man. Well, and, and I'm glad you said that because a lot of the people that I know that, you know, do have their doctorate or at least their master's, it was definitely something that was planned yeah. and scheduled. Yeah. Like, uh, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to get my master's in this and then I'm going to go and do this. Like, it's all set up. And basically, you're saying, like, nah, you was just. I was okay. living in a world. Man. Yeah, <laughs> it was doing. I was like, "What's what's, what's popping, man? Yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's see about this school thing. Yeah. That's but, literally how my thought process was right. like. It was like, I, right, I mean, ain't nothing we'll else to do. Get a haircut, and then I'm gonna get some food. Let me see about this school thing. Yeah, let me see about this school thing. Ain't Kinda nothing like else that. to do. Word. <laughs> okay, I want to tie in because obviously, um, you know, this book, The End of Chirac, and book previous to that, Killing Poetry, which is amazing. Uh, you definitely got to get your copy of both books. Both books are great. Um, I do like this book because I definitely could relate to this book a lot um, being a poet myself mm -hmm. and um, learning kind of some of the nuances that I really didn't even think about, you know, when it came to poetry um, and spoken word and yeah, yeah. how blackness is related into that. And you touch on that, um, you know, uh, effectively. But how did you get into, you know, spoken word poetry? Because I feel like, you know, a lot of people, and we've had, you know, two of your uh, colleagues uh, on before, Rudy Francisco, Yasuka Saldegado, who are also poets. I birthed and both author. of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, Stephen, if we have anybody in live chat, please pull that up. Because um, uh, <laughs> I want to get his They didn't questions. even give me nothing for Father's Day, but right. go ahead. I'm listening. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> they my sons. <laughs> my sons. All of them. <laughs> but um, it's interesting kind of how, because obviously, you know, poets are very interesting creatures, right? They come from all walks of life. Um, they come from maybe no education um, to like, you know, someone like yourself who has a doctorate. And so, but they all kind of share that same, you know, uh, effective nuance. So with you, what got you into spoken word poetry and effectively into performing? Entirely true story. You ready? Ready. I'm in high school. Okay. We talk in late 90s high school, right? Okay. We talk in... You know, uh, this is the height of like, uh, you know, No Limit. We talking, uh, oh, wow. you know. Master uh, P and him? Make him say, uh. <laughs> we talking about that era. We yeah. talking about Dub C and West Side Connect just dropped. Yeah. With Ice Cube, Mac-10 and Dub C. Um, so, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a, in my mind, I'm a thug. Right. <laughs> You couldn't tell me nothing. You couldn't tell me I wasn't a goon. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a high school boy. I'm all about what, like, my masculinity. Right. Like, and this, 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 you know, young lady who I thought was very attractive, who I went to school with, came up to me out of nowhere and was like, I heard you write poems. Now, of course, my masculinity was threatened, and I was ready to tell her that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Like, right. get out of here. You're stupid. Do you see my stupid. testosterone level Yeah, have right you now? seen it? Like, it's <laughs> off the charts. Right. I set a record for <laughs> testosterone at this institution. Nah, so, like, I'm really ready to protect myself right? right and right before i could tell her that i was dumb she goes it's so sexy that you write poetry i was like what's up girl I write poems. <laughs> say no more right I, I went into smooth mode real quick it's a true story i was like what's up girl i write poems you know what i mean and she was like oh my god could you write me one uh, and i'm like yeah say nothing i have one for you tomorrow <laughs> so at that point i either had to be a liar or right, a poet right you had to come through <laughs> i had to be one yeah. so i was like let me try this poet thing otherwise tomorrow i'm gonna be a liar right um wrote a poem i'm sure it was awful I'm sure it was terrible, but she loved it. She loved it. Eyes lit up. Oh and my god, and she was fine. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. You couldn't tell me nothing. Yeah. Bad. Right. Like I'm like, oh my god, I'm on another level. Um, so you know, she and I went out on a date or so. Um, 
I was scared of her father, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> right. Uh, but no, I, you know, one of the things that I immediately saw about that was, uh, saw with that was like, people were like, I became known as the guy who was in school writing these love poems. Hmm. Um, and everybody was like, I mean, all the, you know, high school classmates, the girls like, oh my God, you write poems. I was, I was, I was that dude for a minute, right? Yeah. Like you could, I'm telling you, I was voted senior flirt because of that. What? Man, I was that dude. You could tell me nothing. And so I became that dude, right? And all the girls wanted poems. Dudes was asking, paying me money to write them stuff. To write poems girls. for their girls. Yeah, I was, I was getting oh, wow. chipped off on the side. Like it was nice. a great life. Yeah, you couldn't tell me nothing. Business. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could have. I should have kept along <laughs> right. that business line. Um, but so I say all of that to say, um, I realized that there was a power in this. That that, that people were listening, right? Mm. And so I began to write more than just terrible love poems. I began to write about the world in which I saw, right? Mm-hmm. So I began to write uh, again, nineteen ninety South Central, right? I began to write about gang violence. I began to write about drugs. I began to write about police brutality, about systemic disenfranchisement. I began to write about all of this stuff: poverty, uh, government abuse, right? Things that I didn't necessarily always know how to name, but things that I saw mm-hmm. and things that I felt to be true in my own bones, right? Um, and in that respect. I always like to say poetry not only allowed me to become an author, but it allowed me to become authoritative over my own life, right? Mm. Um, in many ways, I became to be able to speak my own life and about my own life and and, and speak the kind of life I want to live, right? Mm. Um, and so that just kept maturing and I never stopped, right? And I kept doing it in college and I kept writing and kept writing. I had a friend named Armando uh, Roman. Um, and Armando uh, was like, yo, I know you write poems. You should come to me with this, uh, to this spot called the Poetry Lounge, mm. right? So he was the one who introduced me to the Poetry Lounge, and then it was at, um, it was the spot they were in just before uh, Greenway, which is... Um, oh, I can't remember. I know what you're talking about, yeah. The Cabaret. Something. I something. think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, whatever. We went there. That was where I met Jamel and Omari. Those were the first two dudes I met. Okay. Jamel and Omari Hardwick of Power Fame, right? right? Um, and they're both like, oh my God, you should go here, you should go there, you should go here, you should go there. And they both told me to go to uh, Silver Lake, uh, a spot called 33 and a Third, ran by Jerry Quigley. Okay. Um, and I was going there religiously, week in, week out, performing, killing the mic, at least in my humble opinion. Yeah. At that point, um, one night, um, a few nights in a row, uh, Say Kuda Misfit and mm-hmm. Best Kept come. And they're like, Shout yo, um, you're ready. You know, say cool with his D voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. You go to yeah. the lounge, brother. Tell him I sent you. Right. So I'm like, all right. So he, like, he said it. And I felt anointed for some odd reason. So I was like, he has that. He has that yeah. voice though. You're yeah, ready. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right, right. Jesus, man. that's how he Relax. talks. Relax. <laughs> um, so I, I ended up going to the lounge. I told poetry. He was hosting then because uh-huh. at that point the first half wasn't even the half. It was the second half was the premiere half. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poetry was hosting the first half. Sheon was hosting the second. Uh-huh. And I went up to poetry. I said, Can I get on? Sekou sent me. He was like, oh, big dog. Yeah, Sekou yeah. sent you. I was like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to put you on in the second half. I mean, in the first half at the end to close me out. You better be good, dog. Mm. And walked off. I said, I bet. So I did it. He was like, can you close me out again next week? And I just kept coming. Really? Just kept coming day and uh, weekend, week out after that. And that's what what prompted you and got the steamroll, steamrolling into what you've become now. Yeah, man. So I artist. ended up just kept kept going to that I, I, I ended up going to other places I saw the slam team get sent off I, I, I was like I'm gonna do that next year mm-hmm. made a slam team my second uh, my first year trying out 
Um, I didn't make DPLs. I made LAs because they used okay. to have two teams right. then. I remember that. Um, and I was on a team with, it was me, Sheehan, Gina Loring, uh, Thea uh, Monier, mm-hmm. uh, and Omari Hardwick was our uh, 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 alternate because back really? then they had alternates. He, he didn't even make the team. <laughs> no oh, sucker. Omari. Um, so no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was good, man. It was, it was, it was real good. And I just kept, kept at it, kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. The second year I made the team on LA, it was me, Steve Connell, Sekuda Misfit, and Buddha. Mm-hmm. A cat named Buddha Hat, Sam Scow. I remember. I and, remember Buddha. Uh, we won. Um, and and then the the third year I made Hollywood's team and we won that. And wow. that year was me and Q, Omari, uh, Ganu, and uh, 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 Reeves. Mm. Um, and we won. Um, yeah, and I just kept going, man. I kept going. And that time um, I was doing my master's. Um, my, so you're going to school this whole time? Yeah, man. Yeah, okay. doing it the whole time, performing, learning the uh, the ropes, uh, the trade, if you will. My master's advisor, Brian Keith Alexander, was like, hey, you are always at this poetry stuff. Have you ever thought about writing it, hmm. writing about it from an academic perspective? And that's where this came about. That was the master's thesis that turned into something totally different in the uh, dissertation because the dissertation mm-hmm. is about slam and spoken word poetry communities, mm-hmm. which then turns into this which is very different than both of those projects, but yeah. Wow. So essentially been writing about this, uh, this book had come out at that point. I'd been writing about it for roughly about 12 years. Wow. So just different incarnations of it. Yeah. Until, like, this is like the finished product. Yeah. So I want to talk specifically about, cause you, you, the title is killing poetry as you can see, but it also says blackness and the making of slam and spoken word communities. Um, you start off with blackness. Why is it important for you to have, as opposed to just saying the making of slam and spoken word communities, why do you have blackness in there? Why is that important for the book? Um, to quote, uh, the movie, uh, CB4. Uh, because I'm black, y'all. I'm black, y'all. I'm black and a black. No, uh, yeah, she's like I'm black, y'all. Yeah, no, yeah. um, it's important because one of the things that I'm trying to sort of narrate, illustrate in the book is um, part of the ways in which the community is made and remade. Um, interestingly enough, is along the lines of race, okay. right? particularly blackness as a uh, as a thing that can be thrown away, right? Um, and I want folks to be able to see that how that's being done, um, how community is made um, up against sort of the way. Uh, I guess the best way I'm trying to say this is how community can be made. Um, you making blackness a usable object by which we can construct community on or against. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, and, and obviously, you know, I, I figured that in reading the book, I, I saw the importance of it. I just wanted to get from you as the author, you know, why it was important to do that. Um, I do think that it's definitely important to uh, centralize what we're talking about, you know, when we're talking about a thing, like mm-hmm. when we write a poem, right? Um, you have your theme of the poem. Like it's important for your audience or your reader, if they're reading it, to get what that theme is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's also important that in this case, uh, you're saying blackness and the making of slam and spoken word communities, it is an integral part and it's important to say that so, indeed indeed yeah um so getting back to um your your newest work the end of chirac what is it uh you know do you want people to take away from this particular you know literature i want people to take away from that um one um that chicago south side west side chicago right these spaces that are overrun with black and brown youth and artists and activists um, are complex, are nuanced. I mean, it is nuanced and complex and and brilliant and 
beautiful in many ways and also troubled at times, also um, difficult at times, also painful. And I want people to see uh, the sort of glut of voices, right? The diverse voices that are springing up from there. Um, and I want people to also go and check out the authors in this book, man. Go go and and, and love on and buy stuff from the authors that you're reading in this book. Um, Chicago is doing really, really amazing things. I, I remember saying this when I was in grad school and I was just in Chicago and I was like, yo, they're gonna, they're doing stuff. And I was like, yo, they're gonna be hip hop. And I mean, we're seeing a lot of that in this particular moment, right? Mm -hmm. the, the youth are coming up. It's an incredibly creative critically smart uh, community of folks that aren't just nihilistic, right? Mm -hmm. But are really thinking about the city they live in, working towards the kind of city they want to live in, um, but also but also illustrating the ways in which it isn't just a space of mass violence. That it's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. Not throwing away that. Because it has its issues. And I don't want to be the person that sits here and go, oh, it's not problematic. That would be a lie, right? But it's to say it's more than that. And how do we take all of that and really work toward the kind of world that the youth in the city deserve? With being you know, an intellectual and an activist, kind of all in the same person, how important do you feel like something like these, both these bodies of work, but you know, especially your most recent... Um, uh, compared to what's going on in our current climate, especially politically, you know, with, you know, who we have in office, um, kind of the things that have happened as a result of, you know, him being in office and what it's done uh, or how it's affected people of color, um, especially black people that you mentioned um, and brown people and basically anyone that is non-white. Um, how would you say that that relates to that um, or does it? Um. I mean, I'm not entirely sure it directly does. I mean, certainly the end of Chirac talks politically about how the naming of a space Chirac can be problematic, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the things I try to detail uh, very early on in the introduction is that Chirac isn't the first time Chicago had a name that borrows uh, from the Middle East, right? Um, years prior uh, in the Albany Park of Chicago, uh, it was called Little Beirut, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is to sort of play off of uh, what, what, what the the sort of um, the, the ongoing civil war in in, in Lebanon, right? That's uh, really a complex happening, right? Like, mm -hmm. but most people don't want to see Lebanon or lar large parts of the Middle East as a complex space. What they would rather see it as as violent Muslims, right? Mm -hmm. Violent Arabs, right? Violent, right? Um, those brown people, right? Sure. However they want to name them, group them, or even separate them, right? So I think about how people perceive that and partly why they're getting these names is because I think on some level, it's to mark the black and brown people in Chicago just as violent. And these are all going in, in scare quotes and quotations because right. this is not what I believe. Right. But just as violent, just as backwards, mm -hmm. and just as in need of state-sanctioned intervention like the Middle East is, right? Mm. And so... Which is why those parallels are drawn. Right, which is why those parallels are drawn. And so I want to be able to see those parallels so that we could think about how how some of this stuff is in service of 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 white supremacy mm -hmm. of 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 you know uh, p 
patriarchy, of capitalism, of gross, uh, you know, uh, practices uh, that that really seek to or, uh, to to sort of create hierarchies mm. and 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 un, unequal and and unequitable worlds, right? Um, so. Um, it does in that respect. The other respect that it might, and, and we might be drawing straws here too, sure. is that I think writing that's, you know, about just an equitable world that thinks actively about race, about class, about sexism, about homophobia, about transphobia, about all these things. Not to say that I talk about all of these things in these books, but it's to say writings more generally mm-hmm. are one move in the larger sort of thing um, in the largest sort of fight towards equitable worlds. I think these are one kind of way. I think poems are one kind of way. Mm-hmm. I think marching are one kind of is one kind of way. I think um, uh, you know uh, pr- uh, you know uh, protests of various kinds are, are, are different ways and they all have to come together because the world in which we live is so the, the the inequities are so unforgiving, right. are so pernicious, are you know that that we need multiple ways of fighting it. I, I think uh, I think that's great. Yeah. I think that's great. I think you explained it uh, eloquently in regards to that. I'm just always curious, someone who is an author and who thinks about these kind of things, you know, quite often, how they feel about you know. It affects what they're doing to affect the climate, yeah, yeah. to affect the change of the climate, if that's what they want to do. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's great that we have, you know, work that can sustain itself mm-hmm. um, and that also uh, can be something that, like you said, in this regard, especially with this book, you have, you know, these different young authors that have their own stories and that yeah, can yeah. be told in a body of work such as this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you feel like? Um, last question. What do you feel like is your greatest accomplishment? Just in life. <laughs> man i i don't know man i you know it's wild like, look i hear my my bios read at a time and uh-huh. i'm like you know i did all that that's did great some stuff yeah. it's wild um i don't know man i think i don't really think in that terms mm-hmm. in on, on those terms i think about like what can be i'm often thinking about what's next like what mm. can be my greatest accomplishment i think about like basically you haven't done it yet yeah okay you're always striving for something else yeah you know and every time i think about when people ask me stuff like that i don't think about books i don't think about like championships mm-hmm. i don't think about tv appearances i don't think about tours i don't think about any of that i think often like i think about how i treat the people I I love closest mm-hmm. to me. Um, you know, I one of the things about me that a lot of people don't know is I mean, people know that I'm I'm not a very easily quick lovable person. I'm very much so standoffish. I don't really like new people. I'm just yeah, very weary of people. Yeah, I can be are. an asshole, right? Yes. Um and that's fine, right? <laughs> All the time. Um, like ninety nine absolutely ninety nine percent of the time. I still have feel some kind of way about you snatching the fork from the picnic. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah, I, <laughs> I needed my meal. Um no, but one of the things I always tell people it is I'm, I, I'm like if if I love you, you have me. Mm-hmm. You have all of me. And I'm very wary of giving that to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't trust people very well. Uh, <laughs> I think people will fail you. <laughs> like that's just what they <laughs> And so I say all of that to say I strive to be a better person every day. Sure. 
I really do. Um, whether or not I accomplish that goal is another story on its own. I, there are days I fail miserably. There are days I succeed. And I think actively and, and I think a lot about what does it mean to be a better person today than it was yesterday, than mm-hmm. I was yesterday. And I, and I work toward that. And so I guess my greatest accomplishment is my continually stri- my continual strive to, to be a better person. And I, and I mark that by 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 thinking about how the people nearest me think about me and and i you know i don't really care about people who don't know me very well like oh sure. he's this like, right. okay that's fine you know but when my niece says like and i said in the poem my niece tells mm-hmm. me i'm the best uncle in the world and i'm mm-hmm. sure she said i actually heard her say that to my other brothers yes and i, I don't i don't it don't matter to right. me what matters is that she thought me worthy enough to say it sure and that lets me know that i'm doing good work there Word. Right. Um, not always, but I strive to do really good work there. When my mother says, you know, I never really have to worry about you. You were always doing it. Mm-hmm. That lets me know that I'm doing something there, right? That I'm constantly trying to make her proud, right? When my little brother, who I look up to immensely, tells me, I do I, most of my successes because I look up to you, lets me know that I'm doing good work there. Mm. When I released this book and we had the show and people got up and spoke about me, it's like, okay, I'm I'm really having really meaningful, good relationships with people I care about. And that's probably the best accomplishment, my greatest thing that I could say. Yeah. Word. Well, I want to thank you for stopping by yep, yep. and uh, giving us this good word. Um, two books out, Killing Poetry is here. Uh, the end of Chirac. Latest work is here. Where can they find these bodies of work? Anywhere where they sell books. I think that's what my <laughs> no, for real. That's what my yeah. publisher tells me. I mean, okay. look, I'm not supposed to say oh, go here, go yeah, there yeah, because yeah, yeah. they sell them everywhere. Right. I can tell you that Killing Poetry is uh, Rutgers University Press, mm-hmm. and uh, the end of Chirac is uh, Northwestern University Press. Anywhere where they sell books, and I think you all know where they sell books. <laughs> they sell them online in wild places. Did you get the metaphor in that, or not the metaphor, but the, the but the simile yeah, in that yeah, the yeah, wild yeah. places online right. that you can go and buy them from? There's bookstores that are brick and mortar. <laughs> um, you know, they have names. Right. Uh, but yeah, anywhere where they sell books. Word, word. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, that's been our interview with Dr. Javon Johnson. I've been your host, Lim Gonzalez. And as always, you know, you can find me everywhere at The Poet Saint. That's at The Poet Saint. Why? Because I'm a poet and you know it. Um, You can also check out my website, stayonthemic.com. Mr. Javon, where can the folks find you on social media? I am. Everything of mine is Javonism, J-A-V-O-N-I-S-M. Um, that's Twitter. That's uh, that's uh, Instagram. I, it's Snapchat. Too. I don't snap, though. Yeah. Like, it's just a lot to be like, yo, look yeah, at me. Yeah. I'm living life. I'm out here balling. Like, I, just, I don't have time for it. I got bugs. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We writing. And right. you just see me typing at a coffee shop. Right, right. Because that's really what writing is. That book is... Literally just a long time by yourself in a coffee shop like this. Like, Pretty yo, much. we turned up. We we type it. Like, come on, man. Relax. Uh, but yeah, Javonism. J-A-V-O-N-I-S-M. That is the study and belief of all things Javon. Oh, my gosh. You heard it here first. <laughs> Until next time, we'll see you. Peace. From executive producers Kevin Undergaro, Maria Menunos, and Jeffrey Masters, thanks for tuning in to Book Circle Online. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. To suggest a book title or their author, you can tweet us at BookCircleOn. This is Book Circle Online. Thanks for tuning in.